On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Pink Floyd's Obscured by Clouds. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we cover Pink Floyd's Obscured by Clouds. Gentlemen, welcome to this uh, semi-apocalyptic version of Progressive Palaver. It, it's a pleasure to be apocalyptic with you. <laughs> hey, COVID nineteen exempt the Progressive Palaver. Well, we did have we did have um, strict procedures in place long before the pandemic occurred that uh, insulated us from uh, from any disruption in recording. Now, as we discussed before we got on air, um, you know unrelated work situations have have made our our actual publishing schedule to be a bit interrupted but it's actually not uh covid-19 related for sure and it's yeah. funny it's funny cuz Ken you go to a show and you post a picture and immediately people are like when's the episode going to be we can't wait to hear the episode it's like <laughs> i love it i love it Obscured by Clouds. Anybody know what year that is? 1972. June. Halfway in the 1972. It's very odd because we tend to get a lot of fall, early winter albums. And for whatever reason, um, we have a nice little summer album for us. Uh, but, but, But some of this would be explained by the business of it all, wouldn't it, Joe? Yes, absolutely. You know... This this album is really really funny. Again, it's one of those things I I didn't know either of these two soundtrack albums existed until we started getting ready for this. And and in the last episode, or in the I think the last two episodes, when I've I've looked ahead, I've always skipped over this, and I think I want to go right from metal into dark side. But you know, here again, th- there's something about this these soundtrack albums that just kind of works for me it's the strangest thing if you i think if you had played them for me in in a vacuum and asked me what i thought about it i probably would not have you know said anything really wonderful about it but and now that i see them in context now that i've watched both the movies i i I just find I really connect with these these albums, and I like them. And, and there are a couple of very peculiar facets to this particular record that I find funny, if that's the right word. And we'll get to it when we, we go through the tracks, obviously. And I'll, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on this. Um, but I went to great lengths last episode to talk about how plottable 
Pink Floyd music is with regards to from the beginning to the end. Obscured by Clouds is a little off that that trend line. It's not. I'd say it, it, it's. You know, I don't know that it's it it doesn't change the slope necessarily, um, but it you can clearly see it as as an outlier. And I wonder if part of that isn't the the impact of Barbe Schroeder on this because while the the subject matter of the two movies that are covered are different the feeling that that he creates in these movies is similar and it makes perfect sense that he was looking for a similar ambiance that he got out of Pink Floyd for more for La Vallée uh, Joe, a couple of thoughts. Um, you I, you must be uh, sentimental about your actual children growing up because you are very sentimental now about your um, your Pink Floyd albums coming of age. That's true. <laughs> you're, you're 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 connecting. You're seeing the narrative year after year and, and the development. Uh, each year, you 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 gain, but you also lose. You lose the innocence, don't you? That's that is true. I, I, I'm going back to that timeline, but uh, I'll start with a correction. I, I, I accused San Tropez of being a samba in our previous episode. Mm -hmm. It is actually a, a bit of a shuffle. And I say that knowing that uh, we have a shuffle coming up on this album. Okay. Okay. Uh, just coming straight uh, before we get drummer hate mail and whatnot. I know we have a lot of musicians that uh, partake in palaving. Now. 1971 leading up to this what could have possibly happened after october 71 with metal and see here 1972 with obscured by clouds we've got in the middle there genesis nursery crime november 1971 sweet how, how innocent they were november 1971 yes with fragile uh Electric Light Orchestra, self-titled King Crimson Islands, and jumping the dateline, the Straubs, Manfred Mann's Earth Band, Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick, Caravan, and then Pink Floyd, Obscured by Clouds, but I wasn't happy with that. I had to know more. I had to know what was going on in the more aggressive kind of what we call classic rock or okay. what then was have been the simple rock vein mm -hmm. the guitar the, the guitar sounds experimented with unobscured by clouds made me wonder what the hell richie blackmore was up to okay and, and i'm not trying to shame the floyd but truly their compatriots over in uh deep purple were kicking some major fucking ass would you believe that during this period 70 through 71 they did a lot of major albums 70 in rock 71 fireball 72 machine head machine wow. head including the very famous smoke on the water but very our famous. beloved our beloved highway star Oh, Highway Star. Mm. It is beloved here on the Palaver. Maybe That's I should it. maybe I should put Highway Star as our outro music on this one. Oh. I yes. mean yes. the 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 old school surface tension version, just for grins and giggles. Oh, oh my please, gosh. Please with Paul singing. <laughs> Absolutely. 
so, so it's it's not it's not a perfect parallel. Machine Head was December nineteen seventy one, uh, so it's all mixed up here. But what, I just think I made the point that that while other bands were being very grown up and professional, the Floyd were still already farting around with movie scores. Well, it's funny that you bring up Deep Purple, Ken, because there are a couple tracks on Obscured by Clouds that I feel like the Pink Floyd were actually channeling some Deep Purple-esqueness um, in their tone and their, cho- and their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I, won't say, I don't want to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll just say that I, I picked up on that. It um, sounds like, oh, shit, Richie Blackmore left his rig in the studio. Maybe we can just press this button and use it. <laughs> See, and, and it's it's funny because with the exception of Smoke on the Water and Highway Star, I am not terribly familiar with the work of of One Deep Purple. And so when we get to the track in particular, I actually thought of something different. Hmm. And so that'll be fun. I'm going to compare the soundtrack version here like in the midst of metal and the journey from metal to dark side of the moon and the soundtrack in between i'm going to compare it to that of uh king's x doing uh, junior's gone wild uh for the bill and ted movie and Queensryche doing uh last night and last time in paris to me that's that's sort of how they were on this epic wave and then they just decided to just, you know, drop off for a movie before they mm-hmm. elevated back up to stature. Maybe unfair, but I, I, I just not this one didn't not do it for me as much as uh, as more did. Okay, but but the movies do permeate an audience that otherwise would never hear of the band, and it had a hit. Yeah, and that hit is interesting, um, and and I hopefully we'll we'll get to that as well. So, did anyone watch the movie besides me? That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> shall we talk no, about no, the? Don't, shall we talk don't about the movie? Tom quickly? Sawyer on me here. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I hope I'm saying this right. I'm I, I'm not really good with uh, with French words. La Vallée. Um, also known as Obscured by Clouds, is a 1972 French film written and directed by, Bar- by Barbe Schroeder. The film stars Bully Ogier as Vivian, a woman who goes on a strange and accidental voyage of self-discovery through the New Guinea bush. Pink Floyd recorded an album, Obscured by Clouds, as the soundtrack to the film. After recording had finished, the band fell out with the film company, prompting them to release the soundtrack album as Obscured by Clouds rather than La Vallée. In response, the film was retitled La Vallée, Obscured by Clouds on its, its release. It's, it's an interesting film in terms of the story. So when we talked about Moore, you know, Moore had these, this, this man and this woman who sort of got together and went on this very strange drug-fueled um, journey um, together. And ultimately, it wound up in in the death of the the main male character from a heroin overdose. And I mentioned in the the episode from War that 
Both of those characters ultimately were completely unlikable, in my opinion, to the point where you almost didn't even care what the hell happened to them because they had it coming. They were just reprehensible across the board. Um, they, they, they really didn't have any redeeming qualities. But at the same time, the, the, the story and the movie itself and the mood that, that Schroeder is able to create really for me, I found it to be quite powerful, even though it was a, a shitty quality 1969 movie. Wow. So, so we have something similar going on here um, in that it, the, the, the premise of the movie is there's the, the, the main woman, this, this Vivian, who is a stunningly beautiful woman. Barbe Schroeder has a, a type of, of actress that he apparently liked to cast because there are some similarities between the, the, the lead actress in Moore and, and La Ballet. Um, but I, I find this woman to be much more striking um, and maybe part of it is the fact that she's juxtaposed so starkly with the rest of the palette of the movie. It's, it's quite amazing. But this woman is, she's in New Guinea on a lark. Her husband is the consul to Australia in Melbourne, and she doesn't like to go to parties and stuff. So she's in New Guinea looking for, you know, um, bird feathers and masks and things like that that she can sell to a boutique in, in Paris. So she's just off on a goof, you know, having some fun while her husband's working and doing whatever in, in Australia. And she comes in contact with this, this group of people. I was trying to explain it to my son tonight. I'm not going to call them hippies, but they're hippie-like. They're, it's a group of, of four adults and one child, and they're mounting this expedition to the, the interior of New Guinea. And the one guy has a map that was made in 1969, and in the middle of this map is an area that is not filled out. And it was, it was unable to be filled out because when, I guess, planes would fly over it, there was a valley in the center that was completely fogged in and the map says obscured by clouds and it just has this big white space. And, oh, and somehow the, the leader of this expedition, so it's two men, two women and this child, the leader of this expedition has it in his head that this valley is somehow paradise and, and his goal is to get to paradise. And so this woman falls in with this group and decides to go halfway with them so that she can get to some mission where some guy is going to have some feathers for her that she wants. And so she goes there and of course the guy doesn't have feathers and she was supposed to get an, a, a ride on an airplane back, but his airplane is broken. So she has to go to the next place. And in the next place, there's some, some weird magician shaman guy who's got feathers and she ends up getting a feather and then she's ready to go home she's on a plane and she has a change of heart and she wants to continue on the journey with this group of people all sorts of craziness ensues and you know long story short they end up uh, you know she gives all the money that she has to buy horses and they ride up this mountain and they run out of food and you know they're they're on top of this very high mountain and they're you know 
probably going to die. And, and there's lots of, of deep conversation about, you know, what getting to this valley means and what paradise means. And the film ends when she wakes up in the morning and this woman looks over the, the, the ridge that they all sort of collapsed on. And she just says, the valley. And that's the end of the movie. So you don't know if they ever get there, um, but clearly for for this group of people, this was a one-way trip. They were just, they were expending everything they had to get there with no thought of what would happen after they got there. And it, it's really sort of gotten the wheels turning in my head, um, you know, as to what actually transpired and what they were trying to accomplish. And it's it, it's it's interesting and it's it's a lot more for me engaging than more was because i mean these people are perhaps misguided but they're not um they're, they're not reprehensible in the way that the characters in more were how how prescient because you you said these people were clearly on a one-way trip going somewhere with no idea how they got there <laughs> it, it it it's a metaphor for our entire planet at the moment but yeah beyond that yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, beyond um, that, I, I just love the title the way you described it. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, all of a sudden, the uh, the album doesn't seem so bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, Joe, this is really what this was part of the dinner conversation with uh, you and your children this evening. Is that what is that what I'm understanding? Here, uh, I, that I, you I, were actually I suffering was... this story upon one of your children. <laughs> I was explaining it to Aiden after dinner when I was cleaning up. Well, okay. if he doesn't talk to you for a month, you'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go quite as in-depth as I did just now. Um, but I mean, it's, I find it – Barbe Schroeder has a twisted sense of storytelling. I don't know how he, he arrived at the stories he wanted to tell – but I, I have to f say that I, I find myself engaged by them. So I, you know. Maybe even better than the uh, subject matter for more. Shall we talk then about the particulars of the album quickly? Or? Well, what about the particulars of do any of these songs actually show up in the movie? Yes, absolutely. Most of them do. Okay. And then the other particulars would be just grand if you could. Okay. So we are talking about um, Obscured by Clouds, as Ken mentioned, released in June of 1972 um, on the label Harvest and Capital, produced by Pink Floyd. The personnel include David Gilmore, Nick Mason, Roger Waters, and Richard Wright, as we would come to expect. The track listing is Obscured by Clouds, When You're In, Burning Bridges, The Gold It's In The, What's uh, The Deal, Mud Men, Childhood's End, Free Four, Stay, and Absolutely Curtains. Obscured by Clouds is the seventh studio album by the English progressive rock band Pink Floyd, released on 2 June 1972 by Harvest and Capitol Records. It is based on their soundtrack for the French film La Vallée by Barbet Schroeder. It was recorded in two sessions in France while they were in the midst of touring and produced by the band members. The album is shorter than some of their previous material and makes heavy use of the acoustic guitar. Lyrically, in the song Center Around Love, a common theme in the film it was inspired by. The album's only sing single was Free Four. Obscured by Clouds has been seen as a stopgap for the band, who had started work on their next album, The Dark Side of the Moon, 1973. 
The work is often overlooked in the band canon primarily because of the success of their later material. Nevertheless, the album reached number 6 in the UK and number 46 in the US, and retrospective opinions from both fans and critics have been positive, with some critics noting the similarities to their later material. Now, I'm not so sure about all that, but... There, there are a couple of brilliant guitar moments that make me pine for the later material. You know, if you would s- suggest that, you know, there was a leap between metal and dark side of the moon, when you put Obscured by Clouds in between, it's it's the valley. That's the valley, right? Yeah. When she's like, uh-huh. it's the valley. That's where the music is. But I mean, I guess technically you can't really, this is sort of like a, offshoot I, I i would agree with that i i don't think it's overlooked because of the greater success of everything else i think it's just not as good as everything else but it's just it's like it's almost like a little side project they did you it, know it, it is and like i said i i have i have to wonder if if schroeder didn't ask them for hey remember what you did last time do that again now that was you know three years ago which in in pink floyd language is a lifetime Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you were going through the context, Ken, and you talk about, you know, nursery crime, right? We are seven albums in to the Pink Floyd catalog already. And think of all the places we've been. And Genesis is just now coming along with nursery crime, right? I mean, Pink Floyd mm-hmm. is, is you know, way ahead of the pack at this point, And it's amazing. And they're going to stay ahead, Um with regards to that. So the fact that this, I mean, I, I do see some, some definite similarities obviously between this and the more soundtrack. Now, when I started listening to all of this again, I, I hadn't realized that both movies were by, by the same producer. I just, I I knew that obscured by clouds sounded a lot like more. And I thought, Oh, well, this is what Pink Floyd does when they do movie soundtracks. But, Maybe this is what Pink Floyd does when they do Barbe Schroeder movie soundtracks. I, I don't yeah. know. Indeed. And maybe similar to how everyone after after um uh, after what Relayer, everybody went off and did solo projects and they came back and did um Going for the One, if I have my order correct. And and that, that like whatever happened, like release them and, and sort of loosen them up. Maybe the same type of thing is happening. This this is because they're in the midst of recording Dark Side of the Moon. Maybe this is a something that's allowing them to explore other areas. I don't know. I'm, I, I, there's, there's no reason to compare this to anything else. I mean, we should just take it for what it is. But yeah, and and the other thing that that you know shows up in the lore here is the fact that again they were shown a rough cut of the film in order to, you know, make their compositions fit sort of time-wise and, and as it's described online. And so, you know, again, if the, the, the ambiance of the film is, is similar to Moore, it maybe makes sense that they would go back to the same well with regards right. to that. Yeah. Any comments on this bordering on a Gilmore solo album? I was going to say that, Ken. You know, when you start looking at the the writing credits here, this is a Gilmore heavy album up mm-hmm. until up until you know deep into into side two, and I, I find that to be you know fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, and Gilmore's, the particular sounds. Yeah, yeah, and, and the tempos, the sounds, the vibes that he um, interlaces between the songs really do make me think of his later solo work, and it's it, it's good. It's it's very respectable. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, a, a very much embellished Gilmore solo album. When I when I listen to his solo albums, it's a it's it's almost a, a melancholy experience. You're definitely picking up on on Roger's humor, not full whimsy, mind you. No, but, not you whimsy. Know. Definitely right. not whimsy. There's not a lot of whimsy going on here. No, there's there's a little bit of whimsy, um, but not a lot. <laughs> All right, shall we? So Obscure yeah, by obscured by clouds. So this is the the title track. This is actually used in the opening credit sequence of the movie, and it's it's very haunting. Again, you know, from a technical perspective, it, it's difficult to to watch a movie like this in 2020. You know, because the the technology that they had for you know, making these movies in 1972, it's just not the same. So fundamentally, you have an aerial shot over this spectacular New Guinea mountain range valley area. Everything is lush. There are, in fact, clouds kind of spread throughout. And, you know, this is the sort of shot that if it were done today would be done, you know, using a drone and you'd have very you know, steady camera angles and panning and things of that nature. It's a lot rougher in 1972. You don't have, obviously, the the high-definition film, at least not what was available to me to watch on, on YouTube um, in order to, you know, to see all of the detail. Sure. But at the same time, you know, it in this opening sequence, they explain the idea of, you know, that Australians discovered these mountains in 54 and, and you know, no one had had been there in, in the middle and and all of this. So it's, it's providing you sort of fundamental background while you have this very creepy, synthy kind of ominous music playing over top and you know you've got you've got david kind of coming in on top of that with the with the squealing guitar type thing and all you're getting is this picture of this beautiful natural landscape and some some background factual information but it sets that tone that what you're about to see isn't going to end well oh boy you know it, it just it sets that sort of I don't want to say full-on sinister, but a foreboding tone from the very beginning. And so I think, you know, the title track establishes that. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of perfect in that sense. Knowing that it's Australia, are, are, we, are, we, are we kind of being set up to think that they're slaughtered by Aborigines? Well, is it's, that, it's, that it's, it's New something... Guinea, which is off the northern coast of Australia. Hmm. So, and then that, that's the thing. We don't necessarily know what happens at the end. There's a lot of talk. It, it's quite fascinating. The, the leader of the expedition, when he's talking about the valley being paradise, and the, the woman who comes into this group says, well, surely 
these other people who went looking for it have seen it. It's not like no one's ever seen it. And he, and the, the leader says, well, yes, but they never came back because you don't leave paradise. So mm -hmm. he has this sort of, you know, megalomaniacs, maniacal sort of uh, perspective on what he's trying to do. And he's leading the rest of this group there with him. But in the shortly before the group gets there, the second guy in the group who is sort of having an affair with this woman, um, they had sort of a falling out and they have this, this heavy duty argument. And he, he understands what's going on. And he says something along, I wish I could, I wish I'd written it down, but he says, paradise has many exits, but no entrance suggesting that you can never actually get into paradise, but there's lots of ways to fall off the path. It's, it's, Again, it resonated with me in the in the moment, so it was it was very very cool. Sort of like the opposite of Hotel California. It's right? sort of like the opposite of Hotel California, exactly. There's a there's a slide guitar in uh, in uh, David Gilmour's doing a lot of that squealing on a slide in this tune, which I don't really ever think of David Gilmour as a slide player, and I and I confess I'm not really familiar with his solo catalog. Um, but I don't, uh, when yeah, I think you, of Pink Floyd, I don't think of slide guitar. You've got to see that documentary. He sits down in his studio with, with the actual slide that he used on Dark Side. Um, the, the, I, I, I indirectly quoted that documentary last week when I discussed David always has to be at the head of the barbecue. Um, the, the documentary <laughs> ends with his, his family sitting around. A barbecue with ukuleles, but um, but it's uh, but are you talking about like he plays like a like a lap steel or type thing? I don't think that's what's going on in this in this track. Oh I mean, no, he he's he's just doing a straight up bottle slide, slide on a yeah. Car. Oh, okay, and, okay, and and it it shows up a couple different places on this album. But it, it, you're right, Paul. I mean, I don't recall him doing a lot of this before, so that's why it kind of stuck out to me. It's like, oh hey, like this is different. He's awesome. Just listening to him discuss uh, learning from like uh, Pete Seeger records and the really old stuff. He seems to actually have a genuine country folk love even prior to Floyd, which makes some of this authentic for me. And then we cue the Deep Purple. Right. It so, happens. so we go into When You're In and, and this, this, yeah, so this definitely kind of ramps it up a little bit. In some regards, I mean, isn't it just sort of a a variation on the Obscured by Clouds riff that we just heard? I'd agree with that, yeah. I mean, it's oh, yeah. yeah ramped up a little bit, but it, it's, you know, it maintains that feel and it sort of, you know, it, it increases it a little bit. It's, it's not quite as ominous, I don't think, but um, it, it's... There, there's really, there's not a lot to say about this song because it is related to the previous song and it has a super, super long fade, which I'm not exactly sure why it does, unless they wanted to make sure that the album clocked in at 40 minutes and so they threw in an extra 45 <laughs> seconds of fade. I, I don't know. Or maybe the scene required a long fade. Do you remember where this appeared in the... I don't necessarily recall where this showed up. The The scenes where the music appears, generally speaking, it, they, the music is not there for a very long time. It's, it's not 
it's not quite as overt as more was with regards to using it. So there's, there's certainly, I can't recall where this particular song showed up. And, and I meant to do that. I meant to, you know, sort of track out where the song showed up, but I, I didn't do that. I was too busy. It's, it's all subtitled. So I had to like pay attention and read while I was, uh, while I was watching. So. Oh my. What was the original language? It's in French. French. Yeah. Yeah. La Belle. There is literally a one minute fade out to, to this song. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, the song is only like two forty six or something, right? Yeah, it's fun actually to listen to the songs while we're talking about them because we're actually talking about them longer than they actually are, which is pretty funny for Progressive Palaver. <laughs> well, how else so do you true. get 90-minute episodes? <laughs> now, so the, the third track, Burning Bridge, you know, this is where you start to get, you know, well, I mean, I like Obscured by Clouds for the reasons I talked about, but Burning Bridge is like, you know, this is a, a good song, right? Because you've got the... It opens up with the Gilmore vocals, then you get the right vocals, um, which that switch, oh man, freaking love that. It's just spectacular. And then um, and then you get this just dreamy solo section, and then you come back in and you get Gilmore and Wright together. It's like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. yes, let's do this. You know, so I, I like the the way this song is structured. And, you know, the note that I have here talks about the, the difference between the, the general tone of this movie versus more. Again, whereas more was drug-fueled and addled, this is more dreamy. And I think Burning Bridges captures that sort of dreamy feel. It's not, it's, like I said, it's, it's not quite as, you know, whatever. Um, as as more is it's it's more it's more understandable is that the word I'm looking for I, I don't know absolutely um, universal as who hasn't had a dream but the uh, drug addled thing is a very select demographic shall we say okay I like that that's that's very well said Ken the gold is in the oh, now, I love it I think this is where my my lack of, of deep purple knowledge kicks in because uh, I just say Pink Floyd plays Kiss. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I mean, everything about this record to me sounds like Kiss. The guitar sounds, <laughs> the vocal line, the drum sounds. I mean, it may as well be fucking Peter Chris back there. That's interesting. Do we know when Kiss started? Well, we I don't was, have Mark Anthony K on speed dial. I, I damn. know. I was hoping that the Palaver Research Department would be able to research this on the fly because I was wondering. My guess is Kiss comes in well after this, which seventy one. Seventy one. Really? Yeah. Okay. I I didn't realize they started that early. I got on a horrible tangent about Randy California. He's the guy that supposedly wrote the riff that got ripped off for Stairway to Heaven. But <laughs> his band was Spirit, and he also had some experience playing with Hendrix at some point. Um, and when I look at that period, particularly 70 and 71, there's this very, I want to say, Northern Californian strut that takes over music. 
Free. Is that the name of the band? Uh-huh. All right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that feeling. Yep. Um, sort of and bad company-ish. It. Yes. It's yeah. very bad company-ish. So, so I would say that, that in the past, we've known the Floyd to channel the Haight-Ashbury psychedelic era, but they weren't partial to only that. They kind of branched out at this point, and they were covering the greater California rock scene. They just couldn't wait to get in a big festival with their, I don't know, Budweiser's? What was the American beer at the time? I don't know. The Jenny Cream Ales or whatever. <laughs> Schlitz. The Schlitz. <laughs> I mean, Dad used I to mean, drink Schlitz. <laughs> it, it, it sounds it sounds like Kiss, but it also sounds like a beer commercial. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this was this is this is credited with Gilmore and Waters, and Ken, mm. you already mentioned the fact that you know David Gilmore self-professed, you know, listened to a lot of stuff and was interested in what other people were doing. So maybe it's completely you know genuine to the extent that ripping off Kiss is genuine. I'm looking up the date of all right now. I have to know when that was. 1970. I nailed it. <laughs> all right now is we, 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 how quickly we go from the era of all the leaves are brown to the era of all right now. So from, from the mamas and the papas to free, you always have that one bop song that, that propels the next five years. That's funny. Yeah. That, that's a pretty quick turnaround. It is somewhat refreshing. And if you would play any of these songs and say, which one do you think does not belong in some sort of French film? I think this one would probably be, you know, one of the ones I would pick, especially a French film that takes place in New Guinea. Right. Like it just seems like there's a little bit of, um, what's that called? Soundtrack dissonance there in some way. Hmm. I, I will say that these, agreeing with you, Paul, um, the, the guitars transfer very well to vinyl during this period you know what i'm saying it's like yeah. like a, a particular uh glistening sound you know we might call it thin today but it had a lot of life to it you couldn't help but to to, to really latch on to that buzz yeah i don't know did they have rat pedals back then <laughs> <laughs> and that gets us into what's are the deal I find this song to just be beautiful. I love it. I find the vocal line to be exceptionally soothing. Um, I like the lyrics. You know, let me in from the cold, turn my lead into gold. It's it's a little obvious, but it it just seems to work. And, you know, it's got this feel to it, right? That just, you know, one of the things about these these soundtrack films is you can sort of have these big changes in in moods right so we go from kiss to this this beautiful sort of soothing um song that we have and and, and while that's spectacular enough but when you get into the the piano solo that that bleeds into the slide solo oh jiminy christmas this just makes me happy juicy dude i'm glad I, I'm sorry, but I found the new timeline. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fuck the other timeline. <laughs> oh, no. Talk to us, Ken. It's, it's the fuzz and distortion timeline. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it, it starts with 1962, the Gibson Maestro, and just beautifully 
progressives forward. So somewhere around this period, they could have been dealing with, uh, oh boy, Marshall Superfuzz 66, Vox Tonebender, Moss Wright is one that I hear a lot of geeks talking about. I don't know what it means, but Moss Wright always comes up in conversation. Selmer, Astrotone, Manny's Fuzz, Hoffner Buzztone I've heard of. The Octavia, Roger Meyer Octavia. Um, EHX, oh, Univox, 68. A lot of nice stuff here. Um, Ampeg Scrambler and EHX Muff Fuzz. Mm. Oh, the big muff came out. The big, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of this stuff we're hearing would be them screwing around with the big muff. That would have been really popular in late 1969. So, so there you have it. There are a lot of links that you come up with, Ken, that we end up in our show notes, but I think that is one that I'm going to visit many, many times <laughs> over in the coming days. <laughs> ah, and the little muff, the little muff pie. What a cute one. Yeah. Yeah. Any of those that I mentioned could have, could have been the culprits here and, and mm. didn't like, didn't, I'm sure they knew all the cats that were just modding their own. I mean, back then, I mean, I, I'm sure Dave had friends by this point. And uh, it was only a few years later in 1978 when perhaps the standard of all distortion pedals of all time, the Boss DS1 came out. And that's what I had. Yeah. Oh my God. That still is uh, uh, that and like that Ibanez green pedal. Uh, tube Screamer? Tube Screamer. They're like two classics that just never die. Mm-hmm. 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 Damn. Damn. Wow. So the DS1 actually came before the Proco Rat. Yeah. Well, no, same year. Same year. That would make a lot of sense. Wow. I, I don't see I didn't see the super distortion feedbacker though, which which was the one that I had. That's right. <laughs> That I think we actually used on Prom Queen, Ken, at the in the studio. That's how you got the feedback at the very end. But that's mm-hmm. that was great. It. Wasn't it basically just like a DS one with that extra mode where you, where you held the yeah. pedal down and it went into feedback mode? It, it was, yeah, basically cool. that. Yeah, dude, thanks for loaning that to me. I think that was an extra knob on there besides the feedbacker, but yeah, yeah, it was classic, <laughs> fancy. I think I actually have that pedal, like your Ooh, actual one. Wow. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. How did that happen? I don't know. That's fantastic. Oh. That could be a tweet, a, a, a Twitter opportunity, Joe. Twitter opportunity? I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll take you take a out. picture of that pedal. Okay. <laughs> Do that. Uh, Dave makes us very sentimental on many levels here. But yeah, loving the Gilmore. It's amazing that how, how amazing they were able to record acoustic guitars in the early 70s. Like, I don't think they ever really did it better. Yeah. I mean, they're cleaner guitar sounds there, you know, but man, they sound, it sounds so freaking natural. It sounds like you're literally in the living room with, mm-hmm. with them. It's just great. Did they jump up a notch in recording quality for this? That's hard to say. Keep in mind, this is happening in between metal, which has some, not all, but some truly, notable production moments they're 
working on dark side, which is nothing but exceptional production moments. And this, it's not as strong as either one of those. And like, there are some instances where, you know, the, the drums sound like they're little teeny tiny microscopic things. Right. Mm, yeah. But in some respects, and I've been listening to this a lot and I've been listening to it in headphones as I've been taking my nightly walks, sometimes it almost comes across as that's entirely appropriate, which sounds like a stupid thing to say. So I, I, don't know if they've made progress here or maybe they have in the fact that they actually wanted it to sound exactly like this and they were able to achieve that i i don't know and yeah, this I, was recorded pretty quickly yeah it was recorded uh, quickly. yeah absolutely was it two studios or three there was basically the one place with live tracks and then mixed morgan sound studio yeah so chateau de horoville france uh, on either side of a Japanese tour. Huh. Wow. So let's go lay down some tracks, go play Japan, and come back and mix it. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect if if you if I would have just listened to these albums and not really known the the order, which has been something that's kind of funny with Pink Floyd along, which I'll talk about later, I guess, but I probably would put this one closer to the Adam Hart Mother Amagama era than i would the metal and dark side of the moon era mm -hmm. but but i'll tell you what and um i'm not sure whether it's it's uh the kiss song or the deep purple song but there are some moments that you know remind me of the wall um so there is a little bit of that that um sound that they have that is getting somewhere it's like you know crunchy guitar with uh like sustaining while there's like some organ sustaining so i don't i don't know but i i think i would if i would have guessed i would have placed this earlier than metal okay so we really like what's the deal i can't remember what mud men is joe what is it it's pretty, um it's pretty sweet um guitar instrumental yeah you know there are it, I, I have in my notes here that there are trading melodies, and, and I don't honestly recall right now if those melodies are traded between Richard and David or between David playing, like, you know, slide and regular guitar or, or what that is. I, I just don't recall. Hmm. Okay. Based on the guitar... So guitar tone that I'm I'm uh, listening to right now. It's uh, I think he's stuck somewhere between the Fox Tone Machine and the EHX Little Muff Pie. Somewhere <laughs> between those two. <laughs> uh, we'll probably have to credit um, the actual pickups. I'm, I'm sure if, if 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 we got your your buddy Dom, he'd, he'd school us and and pick some pickups at the time. I, I I suspect Dom will be spending a lot of time commenting on um <laughs> on that that web page. But it's funny, Ken, because as I was listening to that as you were talking, like it, it does some of these songs that does have the uh, kind of feel like they're nomadic in recording this, right? Like the sounds are kind of different on every song. Yes, and you know, yes. it's it kind of gives that feel like they're in between something. And and I, I get a lot of close mic feeling on this, whereas uh, clearly uh, Uma Guma, Adam Hart, Mother, everything was 
a little bit distant and foggy, but th- this may be the first close Mike Floyd that actually sounds good, if I'm allowed to say that. And and I feel like, you know, we're really hearing Dave's pickups clearly for the first time. I think Child's End might be the best guitar solo on the album. I mean, it, it's a very Dave song. He's the only writer. He's the only vocalist. And if I remember, this is this is the only guitar solo that actually has a lot of balls reminiscent of what's to come i is that, would is this the one yeah I, I would i would agree with that and it's funny because this song has that very creepy intro to it and mm. I, I i mean again it's for me it's super creepy you're like what the fuck and then it just goes into this relatively very straightforward song it's like oh okay we're gonna do this then got it right 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 so do we prefer this childhood's end or marillion's childhood's end Oh, not fair. <laughs> I ask that uh, for the benefit of Tom, who's not here. Um, you know, I want to I make sure that he's represented because I, I have a strong suspicion that if Tom were here, he would have asked that question. It is interesting, though, because even though these are movie soundtracks, I think Adam Hart Mother and Uma Gumma have more like theatrical sort of design, like movie sound design qualities to them. Like, I feel like I'm more in a movie listening to Adam Hart Mother than I do in either one of these other two. Yeah, and that's the nomadic thing you, you, you refer to. It, it, yeah. it, it's a little bit disparate, a little bit shattered. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if my mic will, will, will pick this up, but I'm very much impressed with this guitar solo. Mm. And it is 75% shorter than any other Gilmore guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's got a good vibe. I love the dry drums. Yeah. Kiss had dry drums. Roger's bass is very floppy. I like that. The Fender sound. I, I feel like when they were done that song, when they were done recording that track, they were like leaving the studio going, damn, I wish everything else sounded that good. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> I wonder if they did what we did and like went outside with cassette tapes and listened in the car. Like, <laughs> I don't, I think this predated the proliferation of cassette tapes. They would have, they couldn't listen in their cars. What did they do back in those days? They just had to listen in the studio, I guess. Eight tracks, man. Eight tracks. Oh, Lord. Could you dub eight tracks back in the day? I have no idea. Huh? I mean, we could at the radio, so I would imagine so. It's very Gilmore. It's very cool, but it's again, it's kind of straightforward. I, I, I just, you know, I like it. I just don't know have a whole lot to say about it. It's great. It's slightly dour, slightly melancholy, but so confident and professional. It, it gives us a taste of later Gilmore. And then Roger Waters is back. He's shuffling. He's jazzing it up. He's jazzing it up on free four. This was the single. 
Really? <laughs> <laughs> this is the song out of all the songs on this record. Hey, that you, you know say you got to sell a record somehow. Hey, let's put this one out. I, I, it seems like an odd choice to me, and you know I'm cynical and I have a bad attitude about certain members of this band, and I have to wonder if it wasn't simply because of who wrote it. If we didn't have this song, we would never have Spirit in the Sky. There you go. So, and uh, for me, th this. It is a toe tapper. Jesus, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it may, maybe it influenced a generation. Okay. It, it is really a toe tapper. And, and like, seriously, if you got to put a song on the radio, this, this one is kind of like, and it has like a, it has like a badass guitar solo in the middle, which is kind of counter to the rest of the song. Like, got it, got it to number six, That's the whole brilliant. album. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I do, I do like the the sort of the, the catchy tagline: "The memories of a man in his old age are the deeds of a man in his prime." That's pretty clever, mm. for, you know. I I, I get yeah. that. And and the other thing that I do find funny about this is you have this this sort of swinging shuffle thing going on, and it's it's sort of happy and upbeat and wonderful. And yet, Richard is recycling that sinister keyboard sound here, you know, and it's. <laughs> It's it just strikes me as as odd, you know. Talk about sort of intentional upfront sonic dissonance within a song, right? It's not right. it's not it's not lyrics not matching with music. It's you have one instrument not matching everything else that's going on around him. <laughs> what uh, do you remember? What was happening in the movie during this part? Uh, because this, I mean, generally speaking, this song is. Completely different from everything else on the record. I, I really don't, Paul. I, I apologize, but I, I just no, I right. just don't. Don't apologize. Kudos for actually watching the damn thing, man. I, I watched it 1.75 times. Um, I didn't quite get through the second pass through today. I got I got wrapped up with actually you know working, but uh, mm. yeah, uh, you know it's it, it it's kind of cool. I just tried to compliment Roger, and I just totally flamed him. Spirit in the Sky was actually late 1969. Wait, mm. what? Is that actionable? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Norman Greenbaum wrote Spirit in the Sky. <laughs> That's probably why it was the hit. They were like, hey, this one sounds like something on the radio already. Let's put that one out there. Well, that makes the choice of this single even more peculiar, in my opinion. Sorry, kids. <laughs> I, I, I owe Roger dinner after this. I, I, I we have not owed I, anyone dinner in a very long time. Ken. We've been very kind in a long time, so... Oh, heavens. Oh, that is well, funny. Now, for me, if I were in charge back in 1972, I would have chosen the next song as the single. Hmm. I think really? I think Stay, to me, it sounds like Dan Fogelberg or something, right? Hmm. I mean, it, it has that, that, that killer gushy juicy 70s chorus thing i mean it totally could have been 
the the um, what was it? The oh, shoot, what the frack was the was the name of that song from from Smash Mouth that had nothing to do with the rest of the album, or it could have been Extremes, No More Words, right? You Maybe get, you get twenty thousand people hearing hearing the 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 song on the radio and they go, Oh, I need to buy this album because of this. And the rest of the album is nothing like that at all. But in uh, terms yeah. of what was going on on radio, I think back in 1972, this song I think is spectacular. I mean, it should be cheesy and syrupy and disgusting, but I think it's great. I freaking love this song. I love the Dan Fogelberg reference on this. It's, it's totally spot on. I love it. I love it. It's it is it's great stuff, even with the annoying wah wah stuff going on. Pedals. Well, the legacy of Richard Wright is strong and powerful. I, I don't yeah. want to cast shade on him, but he he was not a lead vocalist. So what you have here is Wright on lead vocals. So so there 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 are times when I I forget a man is singing. It's just beautiful. Music, and then I have to remind myself to pay attention. I think it has something to do with that misty sensation that I get from his voice. It's not quite mm. defined enough to be a pop star. Fair You're enough. supposed to chime in and say, Yes, but his backing vocals were perfect. Well, <laughs> listen, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. There is, a, I, like the, I like the Dan Fogelberg reference. I think that's really doing it for me <laughs> i know what you're saying ken you're right on there's something about his voice that doesn't quite cut it as the uh, front man in 1972 i i don't i don't know what the last track is absolutely curtains I don't know oh, how, how much absolutely curtains it's 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 interesting i mean it's just in, in some ways <laughs> it's almost like the associated bullshit at the end of uh, of um open your but eyes it's not quite that bad yeah no it's it's oh, not I, as bad I as that remember. Um, but it, if I recall correctly, I think the, the instrumental portion that's, that begins this track is actually what they play at the very end of the, of the movie when they all sort of wake up in the morning after collapsing the night before and, and see the valley and then it cuts to the credits. Now the, the, the sort of chorus part at the end of that, that's very interesting. That shows up much, well, not much earlier in the movie at some point as they're they're trekking into inland into uh, into New Guinea. They come across a, a a church. It's a it's a mission, and it's actually you know the the first the first place where the woman could have turned back, um, and and the uh, the missionary is plane is broken, and and you never see the congregation who are singing this, but you hear this 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 chorus of people consistently throughout this scene it's it's kind of funny how long it actually goes on um you hear it even before they pull up to the church and it just sort of is there and and you know oh, nice inundating you so you know it, it's this album ends in some ways like the movie ends it just kind of finn okay you're done great what <laughs> i'm sorry are we done I, i'm wondering if barbe schroeder really enjoyed uh, fearless from metal, which blends into the the um, sporting song "You'll Never Walk Alone," uh, because absolutely curtains has the instrumental that fades into this chant by the 
Mapuga tribe. Similar technique. Yeah. Very cool. You know, and, and there are some of the scenes with the with the indigenous people of New Guinea are fascinating. And they have the 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 Europeans have several different interactions throughout the call, the, uh, the the their journey, and uh, it's 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 interesting the way that is all presented. But yeah, you know. So again, it just sort of, you know, there's I, I there's not really a whole lot to say about absolutely curtains, um, but yeah, it's cool. So so do we have to create paradise, or we just cut our episode immediately? <laughs> I think we, we cut our episode and let everyone decide if we found paradise or we just died on a hill. Oh, God, I'm afraid of the answer. <laughs> <sighs> so that uh, brings us, gentlemen, to the end of Obscured by Clouds. You know, again, there are fantastic gems to be found here in the in the front part the for me lesser known portion of the pink floyd catalog and this was this was definitely one of them and you know again my enjoyment of these records has been for this and more has certainly been enhanced by taking the time to watch the movie and sort of understand the context that gave uh, rise to these songs it you know, Barbe Schroeder, I I don't exactly know what it is he's up to, but I think I kind of like it. Wow. It's a shame, uh, you know, based on what was reported in the wikis, that I guess they had a falling out with him after this, which is why we didn't get uh, Barbe Schroeder Part 3. Um, but, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm very sure. happy that I was at least given the the impetus to watch these two movies. I don't know if I'm going to go and watch any other Barbe Schroeder movies, but you know, I might, I'm not going to. Well, you may already have Joe. Um, he did. He actually did a uh, single white female really? uh, in 1992. Okay. I yes. have. So there you go. And um, he actually was, a, had a cameo as an actor in Beverly Hills cop three, where he was a driver of a Porsche. Get out of town. Um, out of town. And he was also an actor in the, he was the French president in the movie Mars attacks. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. He's quite, he's got quite a, a resume. Um, apparently he also, uh, I guess he directed an episode of Mad Men. If you're into that sort of thing as well. I've never so watched. So. so there you go. So, uh, he's, I uh, put a link in him in the notes because he's pretty, uh, Prolific. Okay, but 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 he comes after the timeline of distortion pedals, right? <laughs> I think he actually predates the the original distortion pedal. Yes, by a couple decades. Yeah. Thank you once again for you know following me into the the New Guinea bush and uh, you know experiencing the 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 trek to Nirvana. I'm not going to well, say. Well, Joe, thank you. Thank you for going into the New Guinea bush <laughs> and reporting back. I'm not going it's certainly, to. It's certainly added to the experience tonight. I'm not going to say if we reached Xanadu or not, um, but, um, you know, it's, it's certainly open for interpretation. 
We found the valley, that's we, for sure. We did find the valley. Whether we live long enough to get there is a whole different story. And now I can finally say that next episode, we actually get to the dark side of the moon. Very excited, which, you know, very annoying because there actually is no dark side of the moon, but that's a whole... As a matter of fact, whole it's all thing. dark. <laughs> you had to discover a new guinea, didn't you? <laughs> I thought I discovered prog stock, but you had to just flip the script, didn't you? Just one-up me. <laughs> All right, so next time, gentlemen, we will enter into the main sequence, Dark Side of the Moon. Very, very excited to talk about this. This That episode may very well last three hours. Who knows? We will see. But uh, as always, I'm very keen to see where we go. So until then, gentlemen, I appreciate your time. Love it. Thanks. See you guys. Cheers. enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments questions feedback um you can reach us on twitter instagram or facebook we are at prog Pala on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is prog Pala, that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.